So today we will go ahead and take a look at chapter 17 of Matthew. Been going through, I'm sorry, it's actually, we're going to look at chapter 16 today, huh? We did chapter 15 last week, uh, the last time we gathered. So we'll do chapter 16. We'll just go ahead and jump right on in. As always, if you weren't with us last time, you didn't hear the last teaching, it is available by searching A Love Outreach, uh, aloveoutreach.com, uh, A Love Outreach on Instagram, uh, YouTube. You can find us on all of those places and it will direct you to our teachings. But we're going to go ahead and jump right on in to verse 1 of chapter 16. Of the Gospel of Matthew. Verse 1 says, Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. So once again, we see here Jesus, who knows the hearts of all men, pointing out the hypocrisy of these Pharisees and these Sadducees that are coming to him. You see, as I've mentioned in past teaching, these men were religious leaders. And this is what you have to keep in mind here as Jesus is talking to these men. These were religious leaders of their day. They were prideful people that thought they knew everything about God and that they had all the answers. At least this was the way that they presented themselves in public, right? So to sit around and say things like, yep, it's, it's going to rain tomorrow for sure, gave them a, a sense of pride, right? Of course, this would be just one example of the type of people they were, but that's what Jesus sees in their hearts here. They are a prideful, boasting people that think they have great knowledge, you know, and they're talking about the weather, right? But instead of being so knowledgeable on subjects such as the weather and other frivolous things, they should have been knowledgeable on the things that really matter, such things that pertained to the will of God, such things that pertain to the truth of the scriptures. And Jesus is pointing out here that this is what made them hypocrites because they weren't. I mean, if they really knew had true discernment, they would know who they're talking to here and who they're confronting. They would know that he was the Messiah. They would look at the signs of the times and see, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah in front of us, right? So the kingdom of God was at hand. Here he was, the Messiah. God in the flesh was amongst them. And instead of worshiping him as they should have been doing, they were instead ridiculing him mocking him and thinking that they had the right to inspect him, to to tell him what to do, right? And this is a trait of hypocrites even to this very day. They want people to look up to them, 
to put them up on a pedestal and to lift them up. They speak lofty words and they parade themselves around as if they are more in touch with God than others around them. But you see, Jesus ushered in a new kingdom. A kingdom in which the fact is that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ Himself. Everybody should be looking unto Jesus. Everybody. No one should be looking unto religious leaders or people that put themselves in lofty positions, right? Jesus is the head, the head of the body, the only head. Religious leaders today don't seem to understand that just as these Pharisees and Sadducees didn't want to accept it either, okay? A a good example of men that understood their role in the body of Christ would be the apostles. They saw themselves as bondservants of the Lord, and, and it was their role to serve the body of Christ. They were not to be worshipped, and they made sure that people didn't bow down to them. They were good examples that we see from scriptures of men of God, right? Their, their role was to bring people to Jesus, a role that they still carry out today through the writings, their writings that we find in the New Testament, in the Scriptures. They're still pointing people to Jesus. My role in the body of Christ is to point you to Jesus, to direct you to Him through the living Word of God, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, these people that are confronting Jesus, and unfortunately, many religious leaders of the church of today, again, they put themselves on a higher plane than everybody else. And it opens them up to a fall. And that's why we hear so much of pastors falling and things like that, because they're they're lifting themselves up as if they're the ones to be looked upon, right? But again, As he did so often, Jesus cuts right to the heart of these hypocrites and he puts them in in their place. But before we move on to verse 4 here, it's important that all of us who profess Jesus Christ realize that the Lord sees our hearts as well. Whenever I teach the word like this and I'm kind of pointing at these Pharisees and the way they behaved and the way they lived or pointing at others, it's always important that we take it to heart and that we examine our heart and we realize that he chastens us as well, okay? But Jesus continues speaking to these men here and he says to them in verse 4, let's go ahead on to that, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now, if you remember, Jesus mentioned this same thing back in Matthew chapter 12. So I want you to go ahead and just turn back a couple pages, a page or two, and find Matthew chapter 12. And I want to look at this. Because Jesus mentioned this same thing. And I want to read verse 4 again. He said to them, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Then over in Matthew chapter 12, all the way down in verse uh, 38, 
Start reading down in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 12. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answering, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah, see here, here we, we get an expounding on it. And in, the, in chapter 16, it just says Jesus said that and departed. But now we see him expound more on this topic. He says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now pause right there. You see, when it comes to the topic of people that have not repented of their sin and have not been born again of the Spirit of God, there is really only one thing that they need to know about. And that is is that Jesus died for their sins, for the sin of the whole world, that he was buried, and that on the third day he rose again from the dead. This is the only sign there is. That's what Jesus is saying. This is the only sign there is. This is all you need to know. This is salvation. And the story of Jonah is an example of that. It shows that example, and Jesus points back to that and says, this is the sign you're going to get. Verse 41 says here, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment. Now, Nineveh was where Jonah was going and to preach and all that, right? The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. So obviously Jesus was greater than Jonah, but the people of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. Today, there is one way and one way only to God, one way to heaven, one way to eternal life. This is what the Bible teaches. Jesus is the way, and Jesus opened the way. Repentance And then faith in Jesus is the only way to be saved. Being religious, belonging to a a church does not save you. Church attendance does not save you. Church membership does not save you. No certain denomination, right? Repentance. And then a life that is lived by faith. That's what saves. A life that produces good works, which is the fruit of repentance. This is the gospel. This is the only sign that one is ever going to see in terms of salvation. That was the most important sign, right? That is coming to God through repentance and faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says of God that he made him, speaking of Jesus, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. So Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Those that have been born again, that is those that have repented of sin, This is important. You hear me stress this all the time. Repented of sin. Those that have repented 
and turn to faith in Jesus Christ are to be a people that practice righteousness. They practice righteousness. That's what they do. They don't practice lawlessness. They don't continue in sin. Not a person that's been born again of the Spirit. Okay? So this was, and as we flip back now to Matthew chapter 16, this was not the case for these religious leaders of that day. Even though they were religious, even though you would have called them men of the cloth, or you would have called them men of God, or whatever it might be, right? Even though they were religious, and even though they were leaders, Jesus called them blind leaders of the blind, because they had not repented and had come to faith in Him. Even though the gospel, the good news, the way, the truth, and the life was right in front of them, right in front of their faces. And they were denying him. Then here in Matthew 16, the story moves on. And verse 5 says, Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Ah, hey, you know, they're, do you know what we forgot? What? Bread. You know, come on. Come on, Nathaniel, you had one job. They're probably going back and forth at each other, right? Who knows, right? But they forgot the bread. Then Jesus said to them in verse 6, Take heed and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, yeah, It's because we didn't take any bread. Okay? It's because we have taken no bread. This is kind of funny, right? Here Jesus is trying to teach these guys something. And their minds are on frivolous things. He's teaching them spiritual things, and they are carnally minded. You see, we've got to keep in mind that at this point in time, the disciples had not yet been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They, in many ways, were still spiritually clueless, right? They're thinking about bread, and Jesus is warning them about false doctrine. And again, in the church today, there are many people focused on non-spiritual essentials. And in many ways, that's what many churches are all about today. Focused on not non-spiritual essentials, right? And Jesus wants us to be spiritually minded. Paul had to face the same problem with the Galatians and the Corinthians. There were many believers that were carnally minded. And you and I, those of us who profess to be born again, would do well to be sure that we are not hypocrites. And we would also do well to be sure that we are spiritually focused, right? Focused on the things that the Lord wants us to be focused on, right? To be carnally minded is death, Romans 8 tells us. It says, but to be spiritually minded is life, and peace. And this is where the Lord wants us to be, spiritually minded people, thinking about spiritual things, not always concerned about bread, what we eat, what we make, what money we have, and all that kind of stuff, right? He wants us to be spiritually minded. But Jesus, in verse 8, it says, but Jesus being aware of it, in other words, being aware of what they're saying amongst themselves, right? He said to them, oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have bought no, brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? 
You see, Jesus wants his disciples to mature. He wants them to walk by faith, right? To fix their eyes on him, to fix their eyes on the truth, right? And all that he does. Jesus didn't need the bread that they were so worried about. He could produce bread out of nothing, right? If he wanted to, he was God with them. And he's reminding them, don't you remember? I just fed thousands of people with just this little bit. And you're focused on forgetting your bread, you know? How many times in our day and age do we worry about little things that's little to God, that, but we make them into big things, right? How many, things do, how many times do we fuss and fight with one another all because we're selfishly, carnally-minded people? We're just worried about ourselves, getting what we get, making sure we have it. But Jesus wants us to grow up spiritually, to be people that are mature spiritually, that are with our eyes fixed on Him, focused on Him, knowing that He supplies all of our needs and we can trust in Him. Again, the apostles uh, had to deal with this in their day too, right? Go ahead and mark this page and turn to the epistle of 1 Corinthians. So to the right of Matthew, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Then we have 1 Corinthians. So after the book of Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll start reading at verse 1. Paul says to the believers here in the city of Corinth, so 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Think about that. Do you have relationship problems in your life? Strife? Division? Scripture tells us that when we do have this in our lives, that we are not behaving like spiritual people. We're behaving like carnal people. Because the fruit of the Spirit is evident, right? If we are behaving in a spiritual manner, we are exemplifying love and peace and joy and patience and long-suffering and kindness and gentleness and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. That's in Galatians 5.22. And in Ephesians 5.9, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's where you know people are operating in the fruit of the Spirit. There's goodness, righteousness, and truth. There's not division. There's not bickering. There's not fighting. There's not backstabbing. There's not tearing one another down. You know, the Bible warns us that when you see people that behave that way, they have a trait of behaving that way, tearing others down, causing division. You note that person and you avoid that person. You go away from that type of person because they're not operating in the fruit of the Spirit, and in the ways of the Lord. So we're exhorted in the Scriptures as believers to live in a certain way, okay? A certain way that's righteousness. 
So again, back now in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is chastising them for their immature faith, not realizing that, you know, he could care less about the physical bread that they forgot to bring, right? He was concerned with what they knew and how they grew spiritually. And he goes on to say in verse 11 to them, how is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay, because leaven always represented sin. It was always a representation of sin, okay? And these these Pharisees and these Sadducees were teaching a false doctrine. And Jesus is training up his disciples to be people that are going to go forth into all the world and preach the gospel. And he wants them to know truth. And he wants them to, to be spiritually discerned. It is a spiritually discerned discerned person that is sound in the doctrine of the Word of God. They don't follow what man has to say. They follow what God has to say. Yes, God has placed people in the body today that are to teach the Word of God like I do, but you as the hearer of the teacher are to be discerned people yourselves. right? Each one of us is to mature to a place where we're not carnally minded people, but rather we're spiritually minded people. Hypocrites, right? False teachers, self-serving, so-called preachers, right? Are everywhere today. Getting people to follow them. And and in the last days, there's a warning that says people will do that. They'll heap heap up for themselves teachers. They'll have itching ears, right? They'll find the people that that say the things they like to say. Ah, he's funny. I like the way he tells his jokes in there. And I like the way he delivers his message and all of that kind of stuff. Rather than what they need to be focused on is the truth of the Word of God. And are they living it? And are they practicing righteousness in their own home, in their own marriage, in their own families, in their own lives? Are they living in righteousness or are they hypocrites? Because you're a hypocrite if you're just listening to religious leaders and professing what they say and acting one way on on one hand and a different way behind the scenes, right? So much to think about from these 12 verses that we've read here alone. But let's continue on, because the story in Matthew chapter 16 continues. And verse 13 says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Remember we studied uh, last week where Herod, thought that Jesus was John the Baptist risen from the dead the last time we gathered. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now pause here for a few minutes, right? We live in a world today that is full of what they say. How many times do you hear that? Well, you know, they say this. Well, they say that, right? How many times do we hear 
those words. And then a person goes on to tell whatever it is they heard someone say, right? Right? It's that way when it comes to the Bible, too, isn't it, sometimes, right? People bring up what they think about the Bible, what they think about the Lord God, or what they think that the Bible says. But you know, what Jesus, the Lord, really cares about is what's in your heart, not what's in your wallet, what's in your heart. That's what He cares about, right? What's in your heart? People say all kinds of things about Him, They say all kinds of things about the Father God, about the Bible, about the written word. But what really matters to the Lord is you. What's in your heart? And we need to search ourselves when it comes to our faith and what we know personally of our Lord. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Who's he talking to in that scripture? The Apostle Paul is talking to Christians, believers, people who say they're they're followers of Jesus Christ. And he says to them, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Talking to Christians again, right? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Then in verse 16 here, right, Simon Peter says, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now this right here for Peter was like leaps and bounds of spiritual maturity. The Spirit of the Lord was indeed working on him and in him. Many men had opinions of who Jesus was in that day. But Peter had it right in his heart. And this wasn't a statement formed in the mind of Peter or was it formed from the opinion of others? He didn't conjure this up on his own. Verse 17 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So the Father revealed this to Peter here. We see. I want you to go ahead and mark this page again and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 6. So we're in Matthew, then there's Mark, Luke, and then John. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and we're going to look all the way down in verse, start reading in verse 63. John 6, 63, Jesus speaking, right? He says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. You see, it was the words of the Lord the Word of God Himself that was changing and maturing a man like Peter and bringing him to that place, hanging around Jesus, being with Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus. Peter was coming to the truth, as was all the other apostles, all the other disciples, and all the other true followers of Jesus Christ. And it was causing him to grow to a place where he understood 
who Jesus really was and what he was all about. This is what happens in the life of someone that is a true disciple of Jesus. Now, there are those that follow Jesus, or at least they appear to be following Jesus, but they have not the work of the Holy Spirit taking place within them. And Jesus knows who they are. Look at verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. See, they were following Jesus. They were giving him this appearance on the outside. They were liking the fact that he was making food abound, right? They were liking the miracles he was doing. They were liking all of that. But their heart wasn't right. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and would betray and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. Again, Simon Peter had it revealed to him by the father who Jesus really is. But because of many reasons, right, the enemy comes and distracts people and snatches the word from their hearts. Hard times come and they stumble away from the Lord. The cares of this life choke out the work of the word of the Lord in a person's heart. If you remember, we studied about that back when we looked at Matthew chapter 13 with the, the, the parable that Jesus told of the sower and some seed fell, right? Jesus in his time on the earth had many people following him, following him around that appeared to be his followers, but they really were not. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ the son of the living God. So there it is again, right? We see it here, right? Peter professing that he and the other disciples whom Jesus had chosen knew who Jesus really was. They knew in their hearts that there was none other. Nowhere else to turn. They had nowhere else to go but to Jesus. They were wholeheartedly committed to following Jesus. The truth of the heart is always revealed in those who profess to be followers of Jesus. The truth of the heart is always revealed. And it's seen in the way that they live their lives. Right? Jesus said, a tree is known by its fruits. Those who practice righteousness, those who obey and do the word of the Lord. These are the true followers, the true disciples of Jesus. And as we flip back again now to Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is very pleased with this statement from Peter. The Spirit is at work with him, and this makes Jesus happy. And verse 18, Jesus continues speaking and says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now it's important here to understand 
that when Jesus says here, you are Peter, that he's not just telling him who he is. He's not just repeating his name, but rather Jesus is going deeper with the meaning of the name Peter. And the name Peter itself means rock or stone, right? Rock, right? And as Peter made that statement that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus was about to teach his disciples that this, the rock, is the rock, the stone, if you will, that his kingdom, his church will be founded upon that fact. And the disciples of Jesus that he had chosen for this work, minus Judas, who would betray him, of course, but his disciples, they would soon be going out with power and the authority of the kingdom of God, the keys to the kingdom, if you will. And they would bind and they would loose and they would preach the gospel of the kingdom in all the world around them. They would teach that message that this is Jesus. He is the Christ, the Messiah, and you must come to believe in him. And people were either going to be bound for all eternity or set free for all eternity through faith in Jesus or not having faith in Jesus. So his disciples, based on the fact of this profession that Peter had just made, this is who you are. This was the message that was going to go forth now into all the world that would set people free. Right? And it would all be based upon the eternal fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. God's not dead. He is alive. And every human being on the face of this earth has the opportunity now to repent and to come to faith in Jesus. And the Spirit of God is still at work in the earth today calling people to come. God is not willing that any should perish. But are you willing to repent? To turn from your life of willful sin and come to the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. We saw in John where it was too hard for many people. And they turned and walked away. And Jesus knew this. Jesus said that few would find salvation. But it's not because it's not readily available to everyone, but rather it's because people don't want to leave behind their sin, leave their past behind, and become a follower of Jesus. And that's what coming to Jesus requires, is putting your hand to the plow and not looking back not continuing in sin any longer. But nonetheless, the power, the authority that Jesus gave to the disciples at that time is still in effect today because we have the written word of his apostles to build our lives upon and to use to preach the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's read on. Verse 20, Matthew chapter 16, verse 20. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, pause right there, because that might seem kind of strange to you. But you see, the time had not yet come for Jesus to be crucified. It wasn't his time yet. It's coming soon, but it's not here yet. He had things to do. If his disciples were to begin to go around now and spread who Jesus really was, then these religious leaders would amp up the pressure. They would turn up the heat. 
and they would kill him and they would destroy him and they would destroy his disciples as well for saying that this is the Messiah because they didn't believe that this is what the Messiah was going to come from. They didn't like Jesus. They didn't like his background. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. They wanted somebody better than him in their eyes to be their Messiah. So Jesus kind of wants to keep this on the down low right now because he still has things to do. And it goes on to tell us, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Wow, so we go from this great spiritual high for Peter, right, to this great spiritual low, in a sense, right? From the wonderful profession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, to the great spiritual low of him allowing Satan to speak in his mind. Remember, verse 21 back there tells us that Jesus was teaching them that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. But Peter didn't want to receive that teaching. He wanted Jesus to just remain with them. Right? You see, so often we don't want to go through difficult circumstances in our lives, right? We'd rather have life just be on easy street when really it's in the hard times that we grow stronger and we grow deeper, right? And more sound and secure. But this is why we have so many false doctrines today. So many people want to hear things about health and wealth and prosperity and always floating on cloud nine and everything's always good, right? But suffering is par for the course. Jesus would go through it. The disciples would have to go through it. And in this world, Jesus promised that we would have tribulation. But what Jesus was about to go through in his life was the work of God. It was the will of God, the Father. It was for the redemption of mankind. And it was of the utmost importance. And Satan for sure didn't want it to happen. Many souls would be saved. And Satan's not for that. It is his job, Satan's job, to blind the eyes of people, to give them false doctrines, to keep them practicing lawlessness and not living in righteousness, to turn their eyes off of the truth of the Word of God. And here Jesus is pointing out to Peter, hey, that kind of thinking's not good. You're not hearing from the Father, Peter. You know, that, that's not what you're hearing right now. Then Jesus said, verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So Jesus is getting real with them now. It's about sacrifice. It's about letting go. It's about dying to yourself. For whoever desires to save his life, Jesus says, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, this is the part of the gospel that's so often missing today. Coming to Jesus is all or nothing at all. 
When one comes to Jesus, they are dying to themselves, dying to their flesh-led life, dying to the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, not continuing in sin. Okay, No longer walking in the way of sin. No longer walking in the way of the world. The salvation of the soul requires complete and utter commitment. There's not a half-heartedness in coming to Jesus. There is no keeping one foot in the world and thinking you have one foot in the kingdom of God because you're in the church. You cannot remain in the uncleanness of your flesh and profess to have been made righteous in Christ, the Son of the living God. Though there is that false teaching of grace that is so prevalent today, that teaching that tells you you can receive Jesus and continue in sin and you're saved. Okay, Continue in willful sin. Just, just study the Scriptures. Study the Scriptures and you'll find out that that's not what the Lord preached. It's not what He called us to. When one comes to Christ, they're dead to themselves. This is what Jesus taught, right? As did His apostles. And we need to exhort one another in this fact. When we read the Word of God, it exhorts us to stay the course. It exhorts us to stay focused on the Lord. See, because every day the world presents to us the opportunity to stumble. Every day sin is all around us. And we can all go in that way at any time. But we have to exhort one another to stay the course, to stay on track, to stay focused on the Lord and to walk in the way that we should be walking. It is of the utmost importance that people be made ready, that we remain ready for the coming of the Lord. And Jesus says in verse 27, For the Son of Man will come in His glory, in the glory of His uh, Father, with His angels, and then He will reward each according to what? His works. According to works. What you do, how you live, does matter. We really need to get right with the Lord today. It begins with us. When I say us, I count me. Right? We need to walk in the right way. Right? We need to be careful if the gospel that we have received is a gospel that teaches you that you can still remain in sin and be saved because it's not the gospel of the kingdom, nor is it the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace teaches us that we need to walk soberly, righteously, in godliness in this present age. Right? It's not the gospel that the disciples were taught, and it's not the gospel that they went on to teach. As we read the Word of God, we find that out. Now, we will stop here for today because verse 28 is better taught in the context of chapter 17. Keep in mind that these, these chapter verses and numbers that you see in your Bible, verse 1, verse 2, they didn't exist in the original writing. This was all one letter here. This Matthew was all one writing. Okay, We've broken them up into chapters and verses like this, but this verse 28 here is better taught in the context of chapter 17 to carry that on. So I'm going to stop at uh, verse 27 here today. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. God, thank you for your 
grace, your mercy. Lord, thank you that your mercy is new every morning, that today is a day, is the day of salvation. It's a day where people can turn unto you. They can come unto you. They can repent. For Jesus, you promise us abundant life, eternal life, Lord. And there's no way to the Father. There's no way to eternal life. There's no way to heaven but through you, Jesus. Again, God, I pray for all of our hearts, God, that we would grow deeper in our walk with you, that we would mature spiritually, Lord, that we would not allow Satan to affect and infect our minds, Lord, that we would not yield our eyes to the things of this world, to the things of the God of this age, to Satan, Lord, that we would not yield our ears to the things of this world, Lord, that our minds, Lord, that our thoughts, Lord, would be pure. As David said, King David said, that the words of my mouth, that the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, may that be our desire. May that be the way that we live our lives, Lord God. Let your spirit have his way within our hearts, Lord, as we surrender our lives to you today. We thank you for this time together here in your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.